And a good morning and a happy Sabbath to each one. And Phyllis and I are very happy to be here with you this morning. It's a great privilege to be back here once again. I can remember many years back before you even had a church here when I was young. We used to meet at individual members' places, and then we met down at the Orange Hall, and, and I remember when this church was being built. It was a long time ago. You know, as we uh, study this word, let us have a moment of prayer first. Our Father, this morning, we ask that our minds may be open, that we may be understand what is truth, what is right, and help us, Lord, to get our priorities straight in our life. For us in your name, amen. Before I start, it's nice to see all the new faces here. I don't know everybody here anymore. It's nice to see the old people, but older faces, but it's nice to see the new ones too. That means you have a growing church, and that's always a, a good thing. You know, it's best that we do make sure in this life we get our priorities straight because we do have a heaven to win and a hell to shun. Yeah, our scripture reading, I won't be saying too much about it today, but it certainly points out there that there is a new heaven and a new earth. And there also is a lake of fire. And if we don't have our priorities straight and right in this earth, uh, we got two choices. And I think we all want to be in the first one the new heaven, the new earth. But let us open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 44. There's an interesting story here from verse 13 to 20 in Isaiah chapter 44. I'm going to be reading, I usually use the King James Version, but I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, this particular section, I thought it fit better. Starting at verse 13, says, then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. Then he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. And he says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and he makes his god, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my god. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Well, it's just a block of wood. I burn half of it for heat and use it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, Is this idol that I am holding in my hand a lie? You know, we, had, we were talking about the book of Proverbs this morning. And talks, we were talking about the fool. 
It says this poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. And if we uh, feed our minds on ashes, on the wrong kind of things, you know, if you we look, we go down the streets, the billboards, the the things we watch on TV, on the computer, if we're always feeding on the wrong thing, it is going to change us. Now I want to look at this scripture a little bit more because here we see a person, I presume it's a man, but it could be a woman, we got some women woodcarvers these days. But this person, not only are they worshiping the wrong god, an idol, but they got their priorities all mixed up. Because you see what they did first? They cut the tree down, and then they built a fire. They got warm, and they were hungry, so they cooked their meal. And after they were satisfied themselves, then they said, well, maybe I better get a god now. So I'll take what's left over. There's anything left over, and I'll make herself a god. Make a god for myself. I'll be a false god. But you know, when we look at our life, how often does our life resemble this, that we put God last if we have time, then we put God in our life. If we have something left over for the offering, we put God in, put it in the plate. You know, first of all, the tithe belongs to the Lord to start with, the first 10%. That's the Lord's. And after that, we have an offering. And the Lord all blesses us, I think. But first of all, we have to put God first and foremost in our life. Let us turn to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. You know, as we look at, at this, we see that everything comes from God. Second Peter chapter 1. And verse 3. It said, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertaineth unto life and good godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So he, whatever we have that pertaineth unto life, it came from the Lord. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, um, it says here, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So everything comes from God. He created us. Not only did he create us, but he, before he created us, he made this world and he put everything in it that we needed. Everything was perfect. You know, he didn't create us and then start creating the world and making the, making the things for society. And he had that all first. And then after he created us, after we sinned, he came and died to save us. Remember, we're saved by grace through our faith and not by works. That's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. If we truly love God, we will keep his commandments. You know, man, man has many laws. We go to the statute books in this country and there's all kinds of laws. But you know, God, God gave us ten. Very, they seem to be very brief, but they're very concise. And if people, if everybody kept these laws as they ought to be kept, they'd be sufficient for all, and there'd be happiness and peace. 
But you know, we have to do something. There is something for us to do on our part. God gave us all these things, but since we sin, we came. Once Adam and Eve sinned, we came subject to Satan. And unless God had intervened, we would all be perpetual sinners. But if we look once again at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And besides this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, charity which is love. For all these things be in you, and abound they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be diligent. We, uh, it's not only that God created these things and gave them to us, but we have to be diligent and study. And we have to keep adding. You know, as... Uh, we look in our Bible at Second Kings chapter 1. Let's look at this. Here's a story. In our Bibles there are many stories. There's many stories of people that chose the wrong direction in their life. Second Kings chapter 1. And then there's stories of people that chose the right direction. This morning during Sabbath school we talked about Joseph. He made the right choices in his life. And there's many more people who made the right choices. And God could work through them. But here we look at... Uh, Second Kings chapter 1, starting at verse 2. And uh, King Ahaziah fell through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Baal-zeba, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Now this poor king, he didn't have a very good parentage. His father was Ahab and his mother was Jezebel. So he didn't come from a very good line. However, that didn't excuse him because um, he was acquainted with the right God, but he chose to go to Belazeba. But it says, The angel of the Lord in verse 3 said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to the meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say unto them, Is it not because there is a God in Israel that they go to inquire of Belzeba, Bel the god of Ekron. Now therefore, thus said the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed in which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are you now back? He said they come back pretty fast, so he knew they hadn't gone where they were supposed to. And they said unto him, unto the king, there came a man up to meet us and said unto us, Go, turn again unto the king that sent you. And say unto him, Thus said the Lord, Is there not because there is not a God in Israel, that thou shouldest inquire Baal-zeba, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shall surely die. And then the king inquired, What kind of a man was he? And they answered, He was a hairy man and girded with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, it is Elisha the Tishbite. Now the king was afraid because he knew if it was Elisha the Tishbite that he actually said this, uh, he was going to die. But he wanted to meet Elijah personally. So as you go down through this chapter, he sent 50 men with a captain 
And Elijah had sat on top of a hill where everybody could see him, but he didn't hide anything. And the first captain came with his 50 men, and he he uh, went up to Elijah, and he said, uh, Come down. The king wants to see you. And Elijah said, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire fell from heaven and consumed them. And the king sent another 50 up and another captain. And this captain was even more rude. He said, Come down quickly. And he said, I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume your 50 and you too. Now, I don't know if they all kept coming like this, but the king would have ran out of men after a while. But uh, fortunately, the third group that he sent up with 50 and the captain, the man came up to uh, Elijah. And you go down to verse 13, it says, And he fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. When we come before the, the Lord, every time I don't say Elijah was not the Lord, but when we come, somebody respect, we should come with respect to people, the messengers of the Lord. And uh, he begged for his life. He says in verse 14, Behold, there came fire down from heaven, burn up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore let now my life be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he rose and went down to him unto the king. And Elijah said unto the king, Thus said the Lord, For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire by Zebubab, the god of Ekron, is it not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore thou shalt knock him down off that bed that thou art gone up, or shalt surely die. This king certainly had his priorities mixed up. Not only did he lose his own life, but he lost the life of a hundred soldiers plus two captains. And you know, God, our God doesn't necessarily have to be an idol. There can be other gods in our life beside idols that we bow down to. If we, uh, they were talking about addictions this morning, and if you get addicted to something to put God secondary, that is your idol whatever it is. And do we have our hearts right with God? You know, I once heard a story about a family. This uh, mother and her children went to church every Sabbath, but the father seemed to have no interest in religion. But uh, one Sabbath morning, he came down dressed in a suit. And the uh, his wife said, where are you going today? Well, he said, he had a big smile. I'm going to go to church with you. And she said to him, she said, well, what, what, uh, what about your work? And what are we going to live on? You know, the smile faded from his face. He went up and put on his work clothes, and he was never approachable again. Where were her priorities? You know, we have to trust in the Lord. And... Uh, Phyllis and I were listening to a minister last night preaching. And uh, he really trusted in the Lord. He was uh, leaving the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. And if any of you have been there, 
it's quite a ways before you get to the toll gate at the end. You got to drive quite a way. Phyllis and I flew in and out of that airport a few years ago. And uh, when he got to the toll gate, they said uh, he put in his ticket, and the lady said, that'll be $40, please. He must have parked his car for a week or so. When he reached for his billfold, it wasn't there. He couldn't find any place. And he said to her, well, could you please open, could you open the gate and let me go through and go back and get my billfold? I must have left it back at the airport. And she said, good luck. But she said, I can't do that. you got to pay first. Well, he said, uh, maybe I could back up. Well, he said, you can't do that. That's illegal. There was many cars behind him at that time. Well, he said to her, well, maybe I'll just have to camp here then. But then he realized that that wasn't the right thing. The Lord had to realize that the Lord talked to him, the Spirit talked to him, and then he said, you shouldn't have said that. God, he, he asked God, and God says, I got your billfold, it's taken care of. Now you ask the lady nicely, and she'll open the gate for you and let you go back. So he talked to the lady. He said, you know, I made a mistake. But he said, well, can you please open the gate and let me go back? I ta oh, he said to her, I talked to somebody. She said, well, this better be good. But he said, I talked to my Heavenly Father. And he told me, he's looking after the billfold. And he told me to ask you nicely and you'd open the gate and let me go back. And she opened the gate and let him go back. And he said, I got back there. And he said, I didn't run. I walked. Because God told me he had the billfold. And he went to the payphone telephone booth because hey, that was in the days that they still used pay phones but it wasn't there then he thought oh he said I went to the I went to the men's room and he went in there and he remembered he went into one of these stalls and he said if you want to get attention you want to go and knock on the stall it was occupied but he went over to the stall and he knocked on this stall and he said would you please look around on the floor of that he said I left my wallet in here would you please put it give it out to me he said in a few seconds his wallet came flying over the door and all the money, everything was in his credit cards and everything. And so he went back and when he came he said he made sure he, he, he went back to this same lady and he held the ticket so she had to look at him. Oh, he says, you again? Yes, she says. And he gave her a nice little message on, on God and Jesus and that. He witnessed to her. He said the interesting thing was he said Six months later, he says, I was giving a, a lecture in California, and I was telling this story. And a man got up at the back of the room. He says, I was that man in that stall that day. It was the Seventh-day Adventist in that stall. God had looked after his wallet for him. You know, Peter talked diligently about seeking the Lord. But Paul also had something to say. Let us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31 and 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 31 and 33. He says here in verse 31, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sorry, I got the wrong. I got the Chapter 15, verse 31, yes. I protest by you rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Christ said here, uh, Paul said here, I die daily. And verse 33 says, Be not deceived, either communications corrupt good manners. So, you know, if we 
with crop people all the time. Uh, if we have crop communications, it will affect us. I know I worked around sawmills a lot, and the people that worked there, for the most part, did not speak very good language. It is a, you have to be constantly on guard. And some of the stories they tell are not very nice stories either, and some of the things happen to them are not very nice either because of the lifestyle they've chosen. But Paul says he died daily. Do we, uh, I think we all have to die daily. You know, let's turn to Romans chapter 7. Paul had more to say here about uh, his uh, daily walk. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, soul under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. But what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. I think we all have a problem that way, don't we? If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto law that is good. We have no problem with the law. We all know the law is good, isn't it? Does anybody here think the law is bad? No. The Ten Commandments are good. But they can't save us. Now then there's no more I that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in the flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good thing I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mem mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? And I think... If we just stop there, it'd be a very rich case, wouldn't it? But he says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And it's only through Jesus that we can be saved. Anybody who ever lived on this earth will be saved through Jesus, no matter what they believe, whether they were Protestant churches years ago, whether they're Hindus or Muslims, if they ever are saved, it will be through Jesus. Paul realized that we had a daily struggle. We must remember that the devil and his angels are much more powerful than us in our sinful nature. And the devil and his angels don't need to sleep. They're spirits. Fallen spirits, but they're still spirits. And they've had 6,000 years to study human nature and to know where our weak points are. Don't give up hope. Through Christ, though, we're able to withstand Satan and all his evil angels. Uh, God would send every angel in heaven if we asked him. But uh, we have to realize on our own that we cannot stand. We have to ask for Jesus to be our, our helper. It was interesting, this uh, minister last night, he told a story he had served in the 
in uh, what was that Solomon Islands? I think so. And he was uh, he had uh, he was teaching, and he had I think forty young preachers, and he would send them out to preach on Sabbath. And he said I tried to be inconspicuous as I went, and I would sit in the back someplace of the room in the thatch hut, and. Uh, but he said, uh, you know, he said, I always stood out because when you're in this country, it's like when Phyllis and I were in Africa, we were white. We went to churches. Some they never, some people I don't think had ever seen these kids, ever seen a white person before. One church said we were the first white couple ever came to that church. So you stand out. But he went to this uh, church this Sabbath, and he had his young minister, ministerial student preaching, and he said... Uh, Halfway through the sermon, uh, the weird noises started, the building started to shake. And uh, the, the young minister, he just held up his hand and he said, the devil, he says, it's time for you to leave now. And the devil left. In that country, the devil, the devil was very powerful. And the devil came, he was shaking the building in that spirit. And he said, the devil, everything came silent and he went on preaching. That's the kind of faith we have to have. And he commended the young man after. He said, that was a good example of faith. And the young man just looked at him. He said, well, that's the only way we can approach the devil. And isn't it? We have to be firm with him. We have to know on what we stand. Because, uh, you know, in our scripture reading, it says, though the fearful will be in the lake of fire. If we don't want to be fearful when we approach the devil. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter... 45. That's very close to where we had a uh, Isaiah chapter 45. We look at verse 5. It says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I gird thee, though thou hast not known me. And that's interesting. That all life comes from God. Even the life of the devil and his evil angels come from God. God could have blotted them from existence. But that would not have taken care of the sin problem. The universe would have served God from fear then because they would have said maybe the devil was right but we don't dare do anything different than what God did because he'll just destroy us. But So God sustained the life of Satan. But we have to realize that whoever sustains the life is also powerful enough to sustain what they can do. So God is more powerful than Satan. Don't forget that. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 18. It says, For thus said the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created not to, in vain, he formed it, be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there's none else. So we see a God that he had everything planned. The Bible starts in Genesis with a perfect God and a very perfect world because when God got done creating everything, he said it was very good. And the Bible ends in Revelation with a perfect God and a very perfect new Jerusalem and a very perfect new earth. And I'm glad we always have a very perfect God from everlasting to everlasting. Don't ask me to explain where God come from because God is for from ever. We can't. We just have to accept it. And in between the beginning and the end of the Bible is the story of sin, the depths to which the devil leads people in degradation, also the greatness to which men can be attained when faithful to God. 
when people make the right choice, put the right priorities in their life. But you know, in between these covers, close to the, not quite in the center of the Bible, there's the story of the God-man Jesus. The incarnation. And don't ask me to explain the incarnation. We'll look at that through eternity. We don't understand how it can be God and man. We can only accept it. But it is our only hope of escape from this mess that we find ourselves in. And that is Jesus Christ. He came. He gave his life for us. Let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. It says here, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellently a speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, Paul had been at Athens. He had preached on Mars Hill. And he had met psychology with psychology, uh, argument with argument, but he was not happy with his results. But the Lord has promised to bless us if we present Jesus Christ to people. He loved us and he came to die for us. You know, in our Alan G. White notes, I don't know whether you had them here for your Sabbath school lesson, but uh, the lesson last week had a couple notes I want to read to you now. Uh, Alan White had this to say. But I'm going to paraphrase it just a little bit. Instead of putting I in, she was talking about, you know, if you take this and you put your own name in this at every place. It says, Ivan has a work to do, and in the grace of Christ, he shall do it. If you put your own name there, it'd be good. His only anxiety is for those who are so much more easily inclined to believe a lie than to believe the truth. What shall Ivan do for them? What can Ivan do to save them? that they shall not make a lie, neither love the lie after it is made. All Ivan can do is to present Jesus, the precious Savior, before them as their patron. If they love Jesus, they will be pure, harmless, undefiled. They will surround themselves with the atmosphere of faith rather than of doubt and skepticism and unbelief. They will talk of Jesus, of heaven, of the Christian's duties, the Christian's warfare, and how to successfully resist the powers of Satan. They will not be like vultures, preying upon that which is supposed to be the defects of others. And Christ, when he was on this earth, has something to say to the Pharisees. He says, remove the beam that's in your own eye before you look at the, for the moat in your brother's eye. So uh, we have to keep our eyes resting upon Jesus. And it says here too, she wrote here, enter, well this is in the scripture, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many that it be that which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. These roads are distinct, separate, extending in opposite directions. One leads to eternal death, the other to eternal life. One is broad and smooth, the other narrow and rugged. So the parties that tra travel in the, on them are opposite in character, in life, in dress, in conversation. 
And you know, if you look about you, when you talk to people, why do people do things? They do it to be happy, don't they? Do you ever talk to somebody that does something to make themselves unhappy? No. They go to a party to be happy. They might not be able to remember the next morning what they did at the party, but they went there initially to be happy, don't they? And I think, too, uh, so if you get your priorities right, you'll be looking at, uh, uh, at the end of the journey, what there is at the end. In the meantime, we can be happy too. If we have our, if we, if we are, if we have the, if we if we are right with God, we will be happy. No matter if we're in jail or what we are, we will be at peace with the Lord, and we know that there is a reward for us. The right reward. We don't want to be in that lake of fire. We want to be in that new Jerusalem, the new earth. Those who are traveling in the right way, narrow way of talking to happiness that we have at the end of the journey. They do not dress like the company in the broad road, nor talk like them, nor act like them. A pattern has been given them. A man of sores and acquainted with grief opened that road for them and traveled it himself. His followers see his footprints and are comforted and cheered. He went through safely, so can they, if they follow in his steps. And you know the devil always trembles when we call on Jesus because he is a defeated foe. In the broad road all occupy with the persons to address the pleasures in the way. They dodge freely in mirth and reverently, and they think not their journey's end of the certain ruin at the termination of the path. Every day they approach near their destination, yet they madly rush on faster and faster. When it's too late, they see that they have gained nothing substantial. They have grasped at shadows and lost eternal life. You know, when it comes up at the final judgment, when the God is up on that throne, and when you're in the new Jerusalem, you're outside, but if you're on the wrong side and you say, oh, this I could have had, I could have had eternal life, but I chose the other. It won't look like very much sacrifice these few years we had here on earth. You know, uh, we don't have a long time on this earth, whether 70 years or 80 or 100 years even, compared with eternity. I pray t today that each of us will put Jesus first and foremost in our life, that we will study this book, that we will make the right decisions, that our priorities will be right, so when we come to the end of that journey, we will be in that new Jerusalem and the new earth. May God bless us.